Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Happy anniversary, six years together. Kind of hard to believe. Jimmy was saying earlier that it doesn't feel like six years. That went by fast. And I said, well, that's because we couldn't meet for a year and a half. That made it go by a little bit faster. But we have made it six years. It's actually, uh, this, this probably, no one hardly remembers this, but 10 years ago this week, we had a little meeting in this new brewery called West Sixth at that time uh, for the, to begin to dream about what a new expression of the church would look like in downtown Lexington. And as I was exploring this and talking to people, I met with a leader in a coffee shop uh, from the East End. And, you know, I was, I was that bright-eyed little white pastor guy coming downtown, you know, thinking he could do everything. And he had a wonderful message to me as we sat down for coffee that day. And he said, young man, everyone expects you to come down here, do some things for a while, get tired get worn out, and then leave. He said, but if you want to make a difference, if you really want people to listen and respect and be ministered to you, then you need to stay. And a couple years later, at that point, I had the job at a coffee shop that I was in that I met him in. We had been there for a while. He walks by, and he sees me in there and sees the work we're doing as a part of the church. And he said, young man, you're you're still here. You're still here. And I just want that to be the message to us this morning as we begin. We're still here. In spite of incredible challenges over the last six years, when I look back at some of these early videos and early, early pictures from the first part of our church, the first thing that comes to mind is that was a completely different world six years ago, wasn't it? A completely different world world. We've collectively been through incredible polarization. We've been through two wildly disruptive and divisive elections. We've been through televised and traumatizing racial unrest in our nation. And we've been through a global pandemic together. And I don't think I could ever imagine six years ago what the world would be like as the ground has shifted underneath of our feet. But we're still here. Six years later, we are still here. And what's remained a constant through that change is that back in 2017, as our story began, it began with this belief about Jesus and what we wanted the world to know about Jesus, what we wanted the world to know that he was like. What we saw was a world that was increasingly divisive and hateful, where people of faith were part of the problem and not part of the solution. And I remember saying one of those early nights that we wanted to be builders in a tear down and tear apart world. We wanted to know and be something different because what we saw in the gospel, what we saw in Jesus is what he was about was restoration, right? He's about bringing life out of death. He's about day after day, step by stumbling step, taking us taking what is broken and making it whole. And in the process of God restoring us, what we found was that our eyes were opened up to places 
and people and things that we were being called into to be restorers, that God was longing not just to save a bunch of souls for heaven one day, but God was actually bringing heaven to earth. God was restoring the world around us. And that gospel, that message, that Jesus needed a church to live that out. And that's when we were born. That's the gospel that's worthy of a church. It's a big message that gives birth to the kind of people that actually need to follow a message like that. So on January 22nd, six years ago, exactly today, we took our first steps forward, had our first service. You still saw some of those pictures of that night. And we began with this declaration of our mission that we believe that Jesus is restoring people who restore the world. And our mission is to join him. Notice in this that Jesus is already at work doing this. We're joining him. Jesus is already restoring people. He is already sending people. Our job is not to begin ministry so that God can show up into places that he's not. God is already present and at work in all things. And so we, as a people, gather to join his work in the world around us, to discern his work by his spirit, in his power, and go out into the world as his people. And six years later, I mean, it's been a difficult journey, but we're still here. Jesus is still in the business, I believe, of grabbing a hold of hearts and bringing restoration, right? Jesus is still opening eyes and calling us forward into places of renewals in our city, in our neighborhoods, and everywhere that we are. He's still doing that, right? He's still doing that. God gave us a heart for his people in the world. We want his heart, we want his vision, we want his story, we want his way of seeing our neighbors. Last week we talked about what this looks like. And beginning as we took this little break and mini-series in the midst of what we usually go through in the lectionary, talking about who we are and where we're headed, we talked about being a welcoming and hospitable people. We said that we want to be a church that is known for the welcoming presence of God. Because we believe that God restores us, that he draws us in, we seek to be a people. We want to be a place where people are welcome to explore and experience the restoring work of God in their lives. And in that restoration, be able to see in the world ways in which they could bring about that same restoration. So what I want to do today is dig a little deeper into kind of what that looks like for us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5. It's a story that you might be familiar with. It's a story we also see in Mark chapter 2. So look, we're here with me on the screen, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, one day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and, and the power of the Lord was on Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. So we see the story in Mark chapter 2 as well. There's a few differing details, but what we find out from Mark 2 is that this is in Capernaum. This is Peter's hometown. Capernaum is a small fishing village right on the Sea of Galilee. So what we're talking about here is almost certainly Peter's house. So whenever you hear this story and hear about holes in the roof and people ripping the roof open, remember, this is Peter's mom probably standing under this going, what the heck? This is Peter's home. This is where Jesus' 
the closest thing to a home base he had in his ministry. And as be Jesus begins to teach and to heal and to move about into his ministry, the crowds begin to gather. They're coming from all over the region. Jesus never had a problem drawing a crowd. And yet crowds can often be deceiving, can't they? Crowds don't always necessitate truth. You know, it's pretty easy to draw a crowd, let's be honest. I could have announced today for our anniversary I was going to preach from the back of a camel, and I'm sure we would draw a crowd. You can entertain people and draw a crowd. You can shock them and draw a crowd. Jesus is doing good things for good reasons, drawing a crowd. He's healing something. He's healing people. He's, he's giving this provocative new teaching about the kingdom of God, and people are gathering around him. And yet, as the gospels move forward, there begins to be this distinction that, that, that steps out of, of the story about crowds themselves, that it's different from those who actually follow him. There's a distinction between the crowd around Jesus and those who follow him. A distinction between onlookers and disciples. To put it another way, there is a difference between fascination and faith. A lot of people are wowed by Jesus. A lot of people like Jesus as an idea. They like his teachings. They are impressed by him. But being fascinated by Jesus and actually putting faith in Jesus are two separate things, right? Two separate things. I'm sure that many of these crowds, they followed him around and were fascinated by what they saw. But as we continue to see in the scriptures, not all who were fascinated put their faith in him. That's what we see here in the stories because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, it tells us that they're sitting, meaning they had a front row seat. They got right up close to Jesus. Luke is telling us here that they had preference in this crowd. A lot of people were gathering around, probably standing, sitting on the floor. It says they're standing outside of the house. There's so many people there, but they somehow, these religious folks, got a seat listening closely. They were some of the closest in proximity, but not in presence with Jesus. Then there's the men who, it says, carry their paralyzed friend, and that they found themselves, as many often do, on the outside looking in. For them, the crowd was actually a barrier to what God was doing. Yet this pursuit of Jesus that went beyond fascination with him as an idea, fascination with his teaching, with his abilities, it moved into faith. And this was a faith that was willing to do whatever it took to get their friend into the presence of Jesus, including ripping up the roof of a stranger. I don't know how many of you have been a part of destruction of property in the name of Jesus. I guarantee you a couple of you in here have. No one's some of you. But they were willing to do whatever it took, including ripping the hole out of someone's house because nothing, nothing, nothing could stand in the way of getting this man that they loved in front of Jesus. This could not wait. This could not be left to chance. This is urgency we see here. And what we see in the next verse that Jesus says is, is, is pretty shocking, and I don't want us to miss this. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is not a misprint. 
Luke says their faith. This is a plural declaration. Now, is he saying that the paralyzed man is somehow saved through someone else's decision? No, that's not what's happening here. What he's, he's doing is he's acknowledging the power of collective faith on behalf of others. Acknowledging when faith comes together in friendships, how it can be leveraged for something good. Faith that wasn't just a feeling about Jesus. Faith that wasn't just a doctrine to mentally assent to. This was faith that was willing to pick up and grab a mat and walk and carry and move forward. Faith that was ready to actually carry the heavy load, if that's what it meant. Faith that was willing to risk their own reputation and risk the cost of a roof in order to bear the cost of the love that they had for their friend. This was faith that would cause a scene. And most importantly, it was a shared faith. It was faith that was leveraged together for the sake of the other. Now contrast this with the religious leaders who, again, have front row seats. It says here as Luke continues, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow speaking blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. Now, what we see here clearly in this story is that sometimes it's those who are on the inside who are furthest from God. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had proximity to Jesus, but not presence with him. They had closeness in physical presence, but their hearts could not be further away. I've said this before, and I will say it again, that church is one of the best places to hide from Jesus. Church is one of the best places to keep him at a distance. Because if you can get in a room, if you can do all the things, if you can show up in the crowds, you can distract yourself and others just enough to know, to deceive even your own heart. Maybe, maybe no one knows that I'm not actually with him. What would seem very easy and obvious would to be say that when we look at this story and ask the question, where, where's the church in this? So the church is the crowd that's around Jesus. I mean, this is the general definition of what the church is. It's the crowd that sort of gathers around Jesus. That, you know, when you do one of those AI image searches and you put in church, I tried this this week, I put in restoration church, let's see what will show up. It was all buildings because... We know church as just a crowd in a building. So when you look at a story like this, you would think if there's a church, it must be this crowd that's gathered around to hear Jesus. But what I want to suggest to us today, what I want to suggest to us as a church is that what church actually is looks more like four friends carrying a mat than it does a crowd gathered around. 
that church might happen and often does happen in a crowd like this. But it actually starts long before you actually arrive. And it continues long after you go from places like this. You are here for one hour of 168 hours in a week. And if that is all the church is, is a crowd that gathers around to hear something about Jesus, then that makes a pretty terrible hobby. What we see is that church, in the church that we're becoming, is that the closer we get to Jesus, the more we are restored. That's what we stake our lives on. What we stake our church on is that as we move towards Jesus, we are all the more restored. What the four friends knew that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did not know is that even in nearness to Jesus and faith, something begins to change in us. And that conviction of nearness to Jesus and the restoration that that brings fuels who we are as a community. It means that for our families and our friends and our neighbors and our neighborhoods, our desire, just like these four friends, is I want people to get near to Jesus, not just near to the crowd. And in fact, I will go through whatever it takes in faith to make sure that through the crowd, we get them into the presence of Jesus. We pick up the mat. We stumble forward step by stumbling step, carrying the weight of our faith, making sure we do whatever it takes because we know that the nearer we get to Jesus, the more that we are restored. Amen. I have this conviction today. It's a stubborn belief and a hope that I cannot shake as we move forward as a church. That is that church is what actually happens when a group of people leverage their faith for the sake of others. That's what church is. It's when we, like these four friends, decide I'm going to share and gather and leverage my faith with others for the sake of not myself, but for those around me. That's when church shows up. It reminds me of five years ago, about this exact same time, Laura Marie Thompson, one of our elders, she felt led to walk across the street to the Polk Dalton Clinic and ask, we're a church, we're moving in here, is there any way we could serve you? And they told her that there were, that this clinic was one of the few in the state that serves moms who are overcoming opioid addiction. And so she said, how can we help? And what was birthed out of that was Pampering Pathways, this ministry that for years now we have served moms who come across the street quarterly for baby showers that they usually do not get because of the situation that they are in. And every single mother gets a diaper bag full of essentials. I asked her last night how many, we are up to almost 900 mothers that have received diaper bags over the last five years because we leveraged our faith for the sake of others. I can think of another story of people like the Gabes and the Jeffreys and the Mays and the Good Pastors, the Rose, many people in our church who, as the Afghan crisis began to see refugees pour over into our nation, they said, we want to do something about it. And so they gathered together and as welcome to this beautiful family into our, not only our nation, but into our community and serving this family, throwing birthday parties for their children, furnishing their apartment, taking them to appointments, caring for people without 
without them feeling the pressure that they had to somehow become Christians and be a part of our church because they've never come and we've never asked them to do that. We did it not so they could experience and, and become Christian in an evangelistic state because we know that and believe that when we show Jesus in that kindness, that's what draws people to himself. And this family, this beautiful family, they're still serving as a bunch of families here leveraging their faith together for the sake of others. I have story after story after story, little things, big things for five years as I've watched people come together and leverage their faith for others. And every single time, that's when the church shows up. It's why as I watch this video, there's almost no pictures of church gatherings on Sunday. Almost all of the pictures are painting faces at local events. They are serving mothers with presents and things like that. They're all outreach pictures because the best of who we are happens when we come together in rooms like this and dream about how the kingdom of God can come about in our, in our city as we leverage our faith for the sake of others. The truth is, if you're sitting in a room like this and you are a follower of Jesus, it's because someone leveraged their faith for you. Someone carried you on the mat. Someone loved you enough to be disruptive, to cause a scene, to be uncomfortable. And as we move into this new year, I cannot shake this feeling that there are people who are not here today that are going to be the people who are carried into the presence of Jesus by the people sitting here who leverage their faith for the sake of others. And so I want to close as we move into a time of communion and worship with a couple of questions that I want every single person who calls restoration home to be able to answer. The first is this, is who are you leveraging your faith with? We talk all the time around here about community. In fact, next week we're talking quite a bit about our community experiences here at Restoration and how to get more connected into relationships. I want every person in this room to be in relationships where they are known and being known, where they are loved and being loved, where they have a 3 a.m. friend where you can call in the middle of the night when the crisis is happening, you have that kind of relationship with people here. Because when we get in those relationships, the reason why we emphasize community so much, because that's where the leveraging begins to take place. That's where the good stuff begins to happen as we come together and begin to dream about what God might do in the weeks and the years ahead. I, I pray, I pray, I pray you find relationships like that in this community. It matters immensely. And finally, it's not just who you're leveraging your faith with, but I want to ask you today, who are you leveraging your faith for? Listen, it's been a long, hard couple of years. And to be really honest with you, a lot of what we've experienced as a church in the last few years have felt like survival mode and you know when you're in survival mode you don't you don't think about dreaming you don't think about planning you don't think about new ideas a new vision and dreaming about what the Lord could be doing because you're just trying to get by you're just trying to survive and 
man, as we've prayed and moved into this new year, I really sense that time of dreaming and vision is here again. I want more stories like walking across the street and seeing a whole ministry to moms come about from that little step of faith. That in a room like this, that there are dreams and visions that God's placing on your heart even now to minister to and care for people in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our schools, wherever we may be. Those dreams and visions are coming alive even now for the year ahead. I want to ask you, who are you leveraging your faith for? I want to pray for those new initiatives and opportunities to love our neighbors, to seek the good of our city. I want to pray that God stirs those convictions in our heart, stirs the courage in our heart for what could be if we stepped out together with those we are in community with and truly leveraged our faith for the sake of others. And secondly, I just want to pray too as we move forward. Maybe there's someone you have on your mind right now that is laying on the mat. Someone you're longing to see come into the presence of Jesus. Someone who doesn't know him. Someone who is hurting, weary, on the outside looking in. I just encourage you as we take these elements together to not just seek this time for you, but to pray for them as well. Pray with me here. Lord, as we move into this sixth year together think of the words of Joel 2 it says when you pour out your spirit there are dreams that are awakened but not just dreams for us dreams for the sake of our neighbors the people might be welcomed into the kingdom so Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to stir in us now. Stir for us the desire to be connected in community. To go deeper in relationship. And to risk leveraging our faith. I pray, Lord, for those who are not in this room, who we long to see brought into the presence of Jesus. May we in the months and the years ahead as a church be willing to be disruptive and cause a scene to tear holes in roofs do whatever it takes get people into the loving healing presence of Jesus where we can be restored send us in this we love you and thank you 